Welcome to Steamy Stories. This daily podcast features the best developing authors of love stories, along with exotic journals of passionate and explicit human interaction. Our curators have selected stories each day, bringing a diverse collection of storylines. Some are historic, some are futuristic, but they all relate to the human quest of physical and emotional desires for sexual expression. We delve into the youthful discovery of sexuality. We chronicle the vast expressions of healthy affection and sex drive. We feature the creative ways that real people overcome life's adversities and limitations and still find sexual fulfillment. And we celebrate the successes of people who restore losses in their love life and go on living in a pleasurable and generous way. Balanced sexuality is essential to healthcare for body, soul, and spirit. Subscribe to Steamy Stories podcast in your mobile apps and browsers. And now, today's story. Lost in Eros, Book 2, The Forest Part 10 By Bradenton Larry Daphne stood in front of Tusha in all her imperious beauty and said, You're going to be a good pup now, eh? Well, here, you can start with kissing my foot. She extended her foot and held it high enough that Tusha could bend her head to it. This is exactly what Tusha did, without hesitation. She leaned forward and kissed the top of Daphne's foot. When the woman did not pull it back, Tusha kissed it again. Daphne slowly lowered her foot, but Tusha followed it, bending lower to continue kissing. Daphne chuckled a little and said, put her on her back. The serving girls hurried to comply, pulling Tusha back and lowering her so that she didn't crack her head on the stone floor. Tusha's knees were apart and up in the air, her pussy was on bold display. Daphne stood over her and smiled coldly. When Daphne put her foot over Tusha's mouth, Tusha raised her head a little and kissed Daphne's soul. She didn't stop at that, though, but proceeded to kiss and lick at Daphne's foot as if it was the sex of her dearest lover. Of course, Tusha did not particularly enjoy kissing and licking Daphne's foot, though she didn't particularly mind it either, nor did she think of the haughty Daphne as anything remotely like a lover. Instead, Tusha was enthusiastically acting on the principle that the more convincing she was in her submission the sooner she would be allowed some release. Very good, pup, Daphne smiled, taking her foot back. Bring that cushion and put it under her head. A big pillow was brought and slipped under Tusha's head. Daphne shrugged her sheer robe to the floor, stood naked over Tusha, with a foot on either side of her prone body, and then promptly knelt, landing with her knees on the pillow, one on either side of Tusha's head. She looked down at Tusha's face between her strong thighs and said, let's see what a good pup you can be. No biting. Tusha had a moment to nod her understanding before Daphne scooted forward and shoved her naked, wet cunt down on Tusha's mouth. Tusha wasted no time and immediately began to lap at Daphne. Simply having a woman's juices on her tongue sent a palpable shiver down Tusha's spine. She would have preferred to switch places with Daphne in every way, but this was a start. Tusha worked her tongue up between Daphne's lips and into her pussy, rubbing her nose against Daphne's clit. Daphne pushed down and rocked her hips, making Tusha's face wet with her slick, sweet nectar. When Daphne pulled up a little, Tusha got her tongue on the woman's clit. She lapped at it eagerly a few times and then sucked it into her mouth, pulling hard on it. Daphne yelped a little and pressed down. Tusha concentrated on licking the hard clit in her mouth. She was quite happy to have a woman to please for a change. 
In spite of her recent exploits with the male gender, Tasha's experience and preference still tended toward the feminine. It was nice to have a sweet pussy and clit to lick, and to look up and see Daphne's breasts over that taut, athletic belly. It didn't take long before she was able to bring Daphne to a shuddering, clenching orgasm. The warrior woman rode it out on Tasha's mouth, and when she didn't move away, Tasha continued to tongue her clit. In only moments Daphne was coming again, spilling even more of her fluids onto Tasha's chin and dribbling down her neck. Leaning back enough so that she could look down at Tasha, and thereby giving Tasha a chance to get some fresh air, Daphne smiled and said, good pup, but I don't think you're done just yet. As soon as Daphne moved away from Tasha, another woman promptly took her place. Tasha didn't even get a chance to see which woman owned the pussy and clit that were now pushed into her face. A little surprised, Tasha still immediately began to lick and suck at this new clit. Tasha considered herself to be particularly good at giving a woman head. Not only had her lovers all been unanimous in their praise, but she'd never met a woman she couldn't bring off with her tongue. Sure, there had been a few times when it took a bit more time and effort, but she always made her partner come. It was all a matter of persistence, and sometimes endurance, and being sensitive to a woman's responses. If you were doing the right or wrong thing, a perceptive cunnilinguist could read it in her lover's body even before the receiver noticed it herself. This meant that Tasha would always get her partner to the intended destination, if given enough time. The issue of persistence was no less important. Countless women were frustrated in bed because their lovers didn't stick with it long enough. This repeated frustration led many to assume that they would be frustrated. Tasha had several times found that, once she demonstrated that she was going to go the distance, the woman she was going down on was able to relax and have a wonderful orgasm in fairly short order. It was a bit sad, she thought, that her skill in this regard was largely wasted here. Thanks to the XYZ no doubt, every woman she'd met in Eros had had no trouble at all reaching an orgasm with only a modicum of effort. Also the sisters were in a particularly frenzied state of arousal due to the orgy that had led up to Tasha's oral service. So, it required neither much persistence nor much talent to lick this second woman to an orgasm. Tasha was just getting into a good rhythm when the woman cried out, shaking, and spilled more wetness over Tasha's lips and chin. When this woman got off her face, Tasha raised her head to look around the room a little. However, before she could focus on anything, another woman had straddled her and pushed her head back. This time it was the big, freckled redhead who Tasha found particularly annoying. Tasha briefly considering withholding her oral favors, but then decided it wasn't worth the aggravation. As she began to lick and suck at the woman's engorged clitoris, she consoled herself that she would keep this up until they gave her a chance to escape. Well, first I'll make myself come, and then I'll escape. It was probably Tasha's imagination, but she actually thought the redhead's pussy didn't taste quite as good as the others she'd sampled in Eros. Fortunately, it didn't take long at all for Tasha to bring the woman off. Next up was the loud and cheerful Wanda. For some reason she couldn't put her finger on, Tasha kind of liked the gregarious woman with the short brown hair. As Tasha began to lap at the pussy presented to her, she found herself wishing she had the use of her hands, not to play with herself, though there was that, but to hold Wanda in the right position, or to finger the woman's dripping wet twat, or considering who it was Wanda's butt. Making do with what she had, 
Tasha gave Wanda's clit a vigorous and enthusiastic licking, which soon made the sister cry out with an intense and prolonged orgasm. Wanda was replaced by another, and then another and another. Tasha's jaw began to get sore from all her work, and she lost count of how many women had sat on her face. She was grateful for the pillow Daphne had had put under her head, though Tasha was sure that was for the sake of Daphne's own knees rather than Tasha's head and neck. Tasha was beginning to worry what would happen to her when she was unable to continue licking, when a woman climbed off her and wasn't immediately replaced. Tasha looked around and saw that there were now far fewer sisters in the hall. The party was winding down. Tasha lay there on her back, wondering what in the world was going to happen next, until she saw Bridget standing over her with a smug smile. It looked to Tasha as if the blonde Viking woman was trying to think of the right quip. If so, Bridget decided to say nothing. Instead, she bent down, slipped one arm under Tasha's legs and the other under her back, and lifted Tasha as if she were a small child. Without saying a word, she carried Tasha out of the hall. Though she was a bit concerned that Daphne might be mad if she returned to find her gone, Tasha didn't really have any choice in the matter. In any case, she had to admit she liked being carried along with her head against Bridget's soft, naked breast, smelling the flowers that hung around Bridget's neck. The ride was short, though, as Bridget made quick progress to her destination. After climbing up several flights of dilapidated stone stairs, and moving down a darkened corridor, Bridget shoved aside a hanging cloth in a doorway, and carried Tasha into a bedroom lit by torches mounted on the walls. Tasha was half laid and half dropped on a low bed in the middle of the room. Bridget smiled down at Tasha and said, now we can be alone for a while. She leaned down and kissed Tasha's forehead, and then, quickly untied the bindings that held the spreader in place between her knees, tossing the spreader off to the side. Then, with confident grace, she lay down next to Tasha and ran her strong hand up inside Tasha's thigh. Bridget ran her other hand over Tasha's hair, as the one between Tasha's legs slipped up to touch Tasha's painfully neglected crotch. There was nothing tentative about the way Bridget cupped Tasha in her firm grasp. The heel of her palm was pressed against Tasha's clit and her strong, calloused fingers pushed against Tasha's very moist and eager pussy. Bridget rocked her hand against Tasha and began to part her lips to push a finger or two into her, but Tasha was already coming. More than a day and a night without sex, hours of mounting frustration, watching and then participating in unbridled lesbian sex without any release, and finally, being in the power of this strong, confident, beautiful woman had brought Tasha to a fevered pitch of sexual excitement. The attention now given to her was more than enough to push Tasha over the edge. She arched her back and groaned, clenching her teeth and straining against the leather that still tied her wrists to her ankles. When Tasha finally fell back against the bed and opened her eyes, she saw Bridget smiling down at her with an amused expression. That was nice, the blonde said. Let's see you do that again. Immediately, Tasha felt Bridget's strong, yet delicate touch between her slippery lips. Not trifling with just one finger, Bridget pushed her middle two digits slowly up into Tasha's sopping and grasping pussy. Tasha rolled her head back against Bridget's hand and moaned. Bridget began to rock her hand, simultaneously fucking her fingers in and out of Tasha's slippery vagina and rubbing the heel of her palm against Tasha's sensitive clit. Tasha heard herself, as if from a distance, saying, yes, yes, yes. It started out as a moan, but built to a shout, 
and then an inarticulate cry as her orgasm crashed in on her. Her senses tumbled and jangled together in a chaotic explosion of ecstasy that seemed to go on for hours. Ultimately, though, she was carried under by the flood, down into a warm oblivion. Tasha was only barely aware of her wrists and ankles being untied, and then vaguely conscious of Bridget, now completely naked, lying down next to her and taking her in her strong arms, holding her as she slept. When she woke it was to sunshine, the sound of birds singing, and a delicate hand brushing over her hair. A soft voice was saying, wake up, Tasha. Grudgingly opening one eye, Tasha saw a pretty little brunette leaning on the edge of the bed smiling at her. Clearing her throat a little, Tasha said, Nina. Yes, it's me, the girl nodded. I'm glad they finally untied you. Me too. Tasha smiled, and then suddenly realized she was finally free to move around. She pushed herself up off the bed. Where are we? In Bridget's room. Don't you remember? Oh, yes, nodded Tasha. Where is she? It's late. She's at morning practice. You're lucky you got to sleep in. Bridget's nice. But we have to get to work. Work? Mostly cleaning up, Nina smiled. I was told to find you and show you how to sweep up the quarters, but first we ought to clean you up. Tasha ran a hand through her wildly disheveled hair and touched her chin and lips with the other. She could still taste the women she'd eaten on her lips and tongue. She smiled at Nina and said, cleaning up would be good. And, do you have any food and water? Oh, right. I'll be right back. Nina sprang up and ran off. Tasha climbed off the bed, stretched, and walked over to one of the two windows. It was a tall, narrow gap in the wall without any glass or bars in it. Tasha could almost certainly squeeze through it sideways. Unfortunately, there was definitely at least a 10-meter drop to the ground below, which Tasha could not see, and the nearest tree was too far away to do her any good. Still, it looked like a beautiful day outside, and the fresh air was good. Here you go. Nina announced as she came back into the room with a small plate of fruit and a cup of water. Tasha thanked her and sat down on the edge of the bed to eat and drink. As she did so, she asked Nina, so am I a serving girl now? Nina shrugged, I suppose so. How closely do they watch us? Watch us? You know, to make sure we don't revolt or escape. Oh, but if we misbehave we'll be punished, Nina pointed out, as if Tasha were being rather silly. Don't you think if the girls and the men were to get together? Tasha saw the gleam in Nina's eye and quickly corrected, if the girls and the men got organized you might be able to overpower the sisters. Why would we want to do that? Thinking back to what she and Don had learned in the manor from Robert the Scholar, Tasha now suspected that the men and the serving girls here were people from Earth who were naturally submissive, while the sisters were, effectively, extremely dominant women. In a way, life here in the castle was a kind of utopia for all three groups. The sisters aren't so bad, Tasha, you'll see, Nina smiled. Now that you're going to behave they'll be nice to you. Even Daphne? Tasha asked skeptically. Oh, she probably won't bother with you now. She usually just pays attention to us if we misbehave. Hmm, Tasha murmured as she finished her fruit and drank her water. Nina took the plate and cup from her and then took her hands to pull her off the bed and led her to a side chamber. There was a sunken drain in the middle of the floor and a number of buckets with water, as well as some soap, 
a scrub brush, and some washcloths. All the water was cold, but Nina seemed to think was perfectly natural, so Tasha gritted her teeth and put up with having a bucket of it dumped over her head. Then, while Nina purposefully set into scrubbing Tasha down and washing her hair, Tasha tried another tactic. Well, I was hoping to get out of here and find my friends who are out there trying to find me. Out in the forest. Nina paused in her washing. Well, yes. Oh, they shouldn't be out in the forest. The bull will get them, Nina said seriously. The bull. You don't know about the bull. Nina frowned doubtfully. I thought you must know about it, since you were in the woods and with the goats. My friends and I aren't from around here. Where are you from? That's a long story, Nina, and you were going to tell me about the bull. Tasha figured she might as well use the girl's submissive nature to her advantage. Oh, well, the bull is a giant monster that eats people. But bulls don't eat meat, Tasha pointed out. They don't. Nina asked. Hold still, I'm going to rinse your hair. The cold water was sharp, yet invigorating. The good night's sleep, the food and water, and having Nina washing her, all resulted in Tasha feeling particularly frisky. After she stood up and shook much of the water out of her hair, there were apparently no towels Tasha caught hold of the petite girl's wrist and pulled her close, slipping an arm around her slim waist. Their lips met in a friendly and then amorous kiss. Nina pushed Tasha back, though not too forcefully, and said, we have to get to work. But I owe you something for the other night. No, you told me about the goats, and besides, I like making people come. We'll have time to play later, though, she grinned. Tasha accepted this, and, dripping wet for the moment, followed Nina out into Bridget's bedroom. Nina produced a pair of crude brooms and said that their job for the day was to sweep. She acted as if she actually expected to have to show Tasha how to sweep. However, when Tasha demonstrated that she was already familiar with the principle behind the operation of a broom, Nina was happy to let Tasha sweep Bridget's room, while she went to sweep out the next one down the hall. As she swept, Tasha thought about what Nina had said about the bull. This was the first she'd heard of anything in Eros being actually, really deadly. Sure, she had nearly drowned when she'd fallen into the river, and that asshole before that had been waving a knife around, and the sisters sure seemed like they were capable of killing someone, though she doubted they would have any reason to. But in general things in Eros seemed only interested in having sex. She had a vivid memory, though, of the glimpse she had caught of Don hitting the man who had been trying to rape Amy. It certainly looked to Tasha as if Don had killed that man. She thought that perhaps the most dangerous thing in Eros was her best friend and lover. Tasha concluded from all this that the bull was mostly likely a myth spread to keep the serving girls and men from trying to flee the discipline of the warrior women. At most it was probably an exaggeration, the truth was probably nothing more than a stray bull. Probably a very horny bull, Tasha thought with a smile and a shake of her head. I better watch out for that. Tasha swept the pile of dirt out into the hall as Nina had instructed. She looked around and saw no sisters standing guard. They apparently trusted that the serving girls wouldn't misbehave. Nina was finishing her room, so Tasha moved on down the line to the next chamber, which was down a small flight of stairs. This one had a wider window, and the trees outside were growing right up against the wall at this point. Tasha poked her head back out into corridor to make sure no one was coming, and then quickly crossed to the window. 
There was a sturdy-looking branch only a short distance away from her. Tasha briefly considered saying goodbye to Nina, and actually felt bad that she might cause the girl to be punished, but decided she had to take the chance. She jumped for the branch and caught it with both hands. The branch creaked and swung under the weight, but it and her grip held. Tasha moved like a monkey along the limb until she could wrap her legs around a thicker branch. A moment of clambering, and she was squatting on a broad enough limb. She caught her breath and listened for any alarm. When she was sure she wasn't spotted, Tasha began to work her way along the big tree system of branches, moving steadily away from the castle. Soon, though, she was as far away from the window she'd leapt from as she could get without either changing trees or climbing down to the ground. Tasha thought she would do a better job of escaping the sisterhood if she stayed off the ground as long as possible. She maneuvered up a bit until she saw a thick enough branch of the next tree within short jumping distance. She tensed and jumped, catching the branch easily. The leaves around her rustled in noisy complaint, but she was safe. Moving carefully among the branches, Tasha transferred herself to another tree. When she had moved to her fourth tree she realized she would have to climb down, the nearby trees simply weren't near enough. Carefully, she lowered herself down, branch to branch. Unfortunately, the branches stopped a good five meters from the forest floor. Looking around to make sure no one was about, Tasha lay down on the branch, its rough surface scraping her naked skin. She slowly suspended herself from the branch. Tasha let herself hang full length from the branch before she let go. She hit the leaf-covered ground and dropped into a low crouch. She paused there, ears pricked, trying to hear any sound that might indicate her escape had been noticed. Then, when there was no indication that she'd been missed by the sisterhood, Tasha began to move quickly, and as quietly as she could, away from the castle, into the forest. After about half an hour, she came to a clearing, through which ran a little stream. Tasha smiled to herself, glad that no one seemed to be chasing her, proud that she'd managed to escape and happy to enjoy the sunshine on this fine day. She knelt down by the stream and began to wash off the dirt and leaves she'd accumulated during her arboreal journey. She winced a little as she cleaned the scrapes on her arms, legs and belly. She was almost done when she heard the sound of a large cow snuffling, a large cow or Tasha looked up with sudden alarm. There, only a short distance away, across the clearing and watching her intently, was the bull. Chapter 12 To the rescue, Don fights for Tasha's release. Your friend is with a group of warrior women who call themselves the Sisterhood, the wizard explained. Don frowned, I thought she was with the Satyrs. Well, she was, but apparently the Satyrs abandoned her when a scouting party of sisters got too close to their camp. I assure you that your friend has not been harmed. Look, the wizard indicated one of the mirrors in the dining room where they were having their early morning conference. The mirror's reflective surface blurred and then showed them an image of Tasha sleeping peacefully on a bed in a rustic stone building of some sort. I certainly would have alerted you if your friend was in any real danger. Real danger. Nicole pressed. She was sitting next to Don on the opposite side of the table from the wizard. Shalonda sat on the other side of Don, and Amy sat next to the wizard. Madeline listened from the end of the table. The sisters can be rather intimidating, but they would not really hurt her, the wizard said firmly. You described them as warrior women, though, Don pointed out. They must have earned that adjective somehow. Oh, 
they can be quite dangerous to anyone who tries to interfere with them or those who they claim as their property, the wizard nodded. They train daily in both armed and unarmed combat. They look quite formidable. I take it that you've been careful to watch this training, my dear. Madeline asked with a smile. The wizard actually blushed a little and nodded. What kind of weapons do they use? Shalonda asked. It was hard to tell if she was asking more from enthusiastic curiosity or to size up her likely opponents. Spears, mostly, but they have some swords and a few axes. We only have our two staffs, Shalonda frowned, and again it wasn't particularly clear if her expression was of concern or envy. I believe I can help with that, the wizard smiled. Amy spoke up then for the first time during the meeting. I'm wondering about something else. You said those who they claim as their property. Yes, I did. Do you think they claim Tasha as their property? Nicole asked with a scowl. The wizard frowned, um, well, almost certainly. They wouldn't be thinking of her as a guest. Don asked. It does not seem likely, the wizard answered with a shake of his head. It seems to me from what I have observed and have been able to learn, that the sisters see the world as being divided into three groups, themselves the warrior women, their servants men and women whom the sisters claim as property, and then everyone else anyone outside the castle. How many groups is that? Amy asked. Sorry, three, themselves, their servants, and everyone else, the wizard summarized. I doubt that your friend has been able to fight her way into the ranks of the sisterhood, and they have allowed her to stay in their castle, so they must consider her one of their possessions. They're slaves, you mean, Nicole said icily. Well, yes, I suppose that is an appropriate term, the wizard nodded. Before Nicole could voice her entirely justified indignation, Don leaned forward and said, tell us more about what these sisters are like. They are proud, arrogant, really. They tend to be bullies and the other inhabitants of the forest, like the satyrs, try to stay away from them. The sisters only go out from their castle to gather fruit and to patrol, which just seems to mean looking for trouble and booty, like your friend. The castle has a spring in it somewhere, so they don't need to worry about water. What about their organization? Don continued. Ah, well, typical warrior class mentality, I believe. It seems that the toughest, most charismatic sister acts as kind of a leader of the pack. They all seem to cooperate with this, though I suspect any dissension would be dealt with violently. Trial by combat. Most likely, the wizard nodded. Okay, Don smiled a bit enigmatically. You said you could help us. It was the wizard's turn to smile. I can help you several ways. First, I have a way to get you to your friend that I think you'll like. When they heard what the wizard had in mind, both Don and Nicole laughed. Don said, it's a bit traditional, but it will do, I think. What else can you do for us? The wizard explained his proposal. The girls were clearly not impressed, but Don smiled and said it would do nicely. Nicole was the one who objected most clearly, saying, all this is great, Don, but how in the world do you expect to get this sisterhood to give Tush up? Well, I thought I would start with asking them, he said with a cheerful smirk. Several hours later, after the wizard had busied himself with a number of magical projects, during which Don and Shalonda stretched and talked in the garden, and Amy and Nicole busied themselves with the magical closet in their bedroom, the four companions were moving quickly over the forest on nothing less than a flying carpet. 
Amy crouched at the front of their ride grinning enthusiastically, as the wind whipped her hair back. She was wearing a new khaki outfit, complete with cargo shorts and hiking boots. She was the designated driver of the carpet, although on this part of the trip the magical device was on autopilot. Close behind Amy knelt Shalonda, who was watching the forest passing underneath them with happy fascination. She was wearing an outfit very similar to that worn by Amy at the masquerade in the manor, a pleated red skirt, a tight-fitting and flexible chest plate of a crimson material that both protected most of her upper body, but also managed to accentuate her full breasts, a pair of golden metallic braces on her forearms, a set of matching shin guards, and a pair of custom-made, through magic, martial arts shoes. Her long, straight hair was tied back in a ponytail. Shalonda had her staff held tightly across her thighs. Standing up in the middle of the carpet, as if he were Aladdin himself, or the captain of a pirate ship, stood Don. He held his staff lightly in his right hand, and rested his left fist on his hip. Don wore chest armor of the same material as Shalonda, though his was noticeably less curvy and black. He also had braces and shin guards, also black, though the shin armor was concealed under the loose black pants he wore. His shoes were also like Shalonda's. Both he and Shalonda also wore protective cups on their crotches though this could not be seen. Don smiled calmly ahead, sitting on the carpet behind Don, and doing her best not to look up or around, was Nicole. She was wearing what could best be described as a naughty nurse costume, complete with white stockings and garter belt. There were prominent red crosses on her chest and her white cap. She clutched a big bag of supplies closely. To be continued. By Bradenton Larry for Literotica. Thanks for joining us for today's steamy story. Come back tomorrow for another tale of explicit romance and passion. We hope you found pleasure in today's story. Be sure to subscribe to Steamy Stories Podcast in your mobile podcasting app. Our podcast server and website also contains our full library of past episodes. Happy dreams.